This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Got a great show planned for you. As always, we're going to be talking about that end of the week, Sunday night, end of the weekend anxiety that creeps up. Some people call it the Sunday scaries. I feel it. I can start to feel the anxiety building in my body as the end of Sunday nights uh, winding down. We're going to talk about ways to uh, cope with that and also ways to de-escalate uh, fights and conflict. Really important stuff. And that were, you know, that really relates to every single relationship we're in and, uh, DMS as always, if you've got a question for us, drop them in the DMS on our Loveland IG page and we'll answer that for you. Gosh. Okay. Study came out ready for this one. This is a really big number. Half, half of men have had unwanted sexual advances and experiences. So basically, uh, this came out of the UK, and it's calling for more attention to sexual abuse survivors who identify as male. Yeah, traditionally, there's both a stigma, and some people actually don't think it's real. They think, how can a man be sexually assaulted or sexually abused? Well, it can happen throughout the lifespan. It's about power. It's about control. It's about shame. It's about stigma. Men are afraid to often come forward. And if it's at the hands of someone who's opposite gendered, sometimes it feels uh, very emasculating. So people don't necessarily know that what, what is occurring is not okay. Uh, we tend to think that for people that are male, male identified or male presenting, that somehow boundaries sexually are different, that they are better able or better equipped to take care of themselves or maybe even might enjoy it. But sexual abuse is real. It happens to every single gender presentation. We have to talk about it more to normalize it so that people will better understand you know, how to take care of themselves, how to come forward, and more importantly, how to not enact that uh, on someone else. It really comes down to impact, not just intent, but also consent. So um, we'll keep talking about it, but you know, half of men that came out of a study. And again, there's a wide range as to what makes someone feel unsafe. Sex should, gosh, it's one of those, it's one of many things that should never have to have a negative impact. It's, you know, one of those things that exists purely for fun, connection, joy, pleasure, you know, very misused. But male sexual survivors, I see you, I hear you, I support you, and we'll continue to talk more about it. Something on the positive end, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful video gone live and viral. It's about a uh, ballerina showing her reaction when she finally gets point shoes that match her skin tone. Again, imagine moving through the world, a world that isn't equipped to give you your needs or doesn't really honor reflect back who you are. And every time you get your ballet shoes, they're of a different skin tone. That's, that's a trauma. That is, that is exclusion and ostracism at its best. We finally have band-aids that come in different colors, shoes that come in different colors. This is important. Now, you know, makeup's been doing far better, but everyone has a right to feel that they are of worth and of value and to be centered. So <clears throat> love when things like that happen. That is part of ending systemic and institutional racism. 
uh, some meaningful stuff. So whenever you're creating a product, ask who are we leaving out? No, you don't want your product to marginalize. We talk about even with different body shapes and sizes, right? Where some of them stop at a certain level as though larger bodies than that one level don't exist. Let's try to be more inclusive. Um, it, 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 it works well for everyone, but mental health matters. Also, I love this. Well, you know, Mardi Gras, not going to happen, but people uh, decorated their houses. They call them house floats. See, that's an example of what I was saying around all the holidays. The holidays are not canceled. They're just going to look different this year. Get creative. Can't have a float through the street, but you can still decorate your house. People can drive around and look at your house. People are doing that for Christmas and Halloween. Yeah, we do it from our cars. It's different. It will be different next year if we do everything we have to do, but it's not canceled. Just has to look different. So thank you for paving, paving the way and reminding us of that. That would be an amazing thing to drive around looking at. I love stuff like that. Um, and let's talk about let's talk about Chris Harrison, the Bachelor host who said something problematic. Uh, essentially, some prior racist behaviors called out. He normalized it by saying, "Yeah, but that was a different time back then." When the better answer is, racism has always existed. That was not okay. Uh, we have to do better, but instead defended it, which is an odd position to take, right? When you're when you have a fork in the road where you can defend something racist or be anti-racist, go for anti-racism. You know, the Bachelor franchise is finally doing better. Still, a lot of work to do. Um, you know, they're a little more inclusive. Some feels a little tokenizing, but Chris Harrison, what you said really wasn't the best approach. You were again standing on the side of the person who said the problematic comment, which is a an odd flex for many of us to hear, especially now. Um, so he understands that that's drilling a lot of attention. So he stepped aside. This happened last week. I've sat on responding to this. Um, I just want to, you know, really come from the right place and talking about it. So yeah, y'all, you got to be careful about what you say, it matters, uh, especially when you're in a position of power, like hosting such a huge franchise. And then finally, The Good Doctor. This is a show I've never seen. They break new ground with a pregnant dad played by a trans man. Yes, trans roles. Give them to trans people. That's sometimes the only roles they get. And also, I love that men get pregnant. Yes, men have uteruses. Yep, trans men exist and they give birth. And I love that they're following that storyline. That might save a life. That might normalize that experience for someone else. And that will also educate cis people that trans lives exist and that they have pregnancy and all sorts of things. Um, I might actually try to watch that episode. That's not a show I've ever seen. Um, nothing against it. But when I see them doing something as powerful as that, you got my support. I'm here for it. Um, all right, y'all. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about how to deal with that anxiety that comes on Sundays about the uh, approaching work week ahead of you. And then we talk about how to de-escalate conflict in all of our different relationships. And then some DMs. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, head on over to wearechannelq.com. They're all there. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And we're talking about that Sunday, Sunday night anxiety. Some people call it the Sunday scaries. A lot of different names for it. The end of the, the, end of the weekend anxiety, the beginning of the week. Now remember, <clears throat> everything has to first be contextualized. Where a lot of us are feeling very fragile. We're not feeling uh, at our most robust. Because of everything that's going on in the world. So, you know, the week beginning is not something that is uh, full of hope or excitement for everyone. Not everyone likes what they're about to step into. Not everyone likes their job. Ugh. And again, pandemics just removed a lot of our uh, self-care and a lot of our distractions. And some people's weekends are just full of work. I always say that, you know, you work <laughs> all week long and then the weekend comes. And that's when I'm cleaning, doing laundry, running errands, all sorts of stuff. And it's like, so when, when was I resting? 
wait, when was it? When did the, you know, when did my downtime happen? Um, <clears throat> so a couple things. Um, know that uh, the severity of a lot of different experiences we're having right now is possibly, you know, just due to what's going on in the world around us. But first thing I always point out to those that have a lot of anxiety about the upcoming week is I don't want to assume that everyone is engaging in a career or work that's meaningful to them. And not everyone's career work is going to be the thing that's going to give them the most meaning and value in their life. Sometimes because of this capitalist culture that we live in, we have to have a job to get our bills paid and to get health insurance, hopefully. Um, although I do recognize that not every job even pays a living wage or offers health care, which is really, really shame on them. But, you know, for those that don't have a job or a career that gives them meaning and purpose, yes, it's going to be more imperative that your downtime or free time is rooted in things that give you meaning and purpose. Because we have to find that somewhere. That is the number one thing that leads to uh, happiness, right? Sense of worth. So again, if your working week, whatever that looks like, is not tied to purpose, happiness, and meaning, you have to find that somewhere. For those that it does, that sometimes is what alleviates the anxiety about the week beginning. Sometimes it's also just the system that we work these long work weeks and we have such a short amount of time off. And now we're seeing a lot of studies talked about it, about how 40-hour work weeks just aren't the most productive or, or creating the most competence in terms of output, and that uh, shorter work weeks and shorter work hours actually serve the companies better. Companies don't love to jump on the stats. They, they go with what is most comfortable for them. They think working longer hours is working harder and better. It's not true. And try to create that. I built that into my own life. I'm always trying to track output. Uh, are things tied to and impacting my mental health? And, and what do I want to do about that? And also trying to create a true work-life balance, which would mean maybe if you can, and I recognize that there's some privilege and, and, and other stuff in this, if you can work a four-day work week and have a three-day weekend, that's far healthier mentally, far healthier mentally and physically. Um, and I'd love to see a norm like that. We shouldn't be working five days with, with two days off. Our lives, we are not alive just to be working. Our lives should not just be productivity. That's gross. It's not rooted in mental health or even physical health. So try to cut back on the work week. That's not doable for everyone. I totally understand that. I appreciate that. You don't need to slide into my DMs telling me that. I'm calling that out. I get that. So what can we do though? Because there are some things that are under our control. Let's break that down. When we realize, and if we realize that we are one of those people where Sunday starts to carry anxiety with it, or more powerfully, the end of the night, right? seeing what time it is, uh, crawling into bed. That is when the anxiety often spikes. So first thing is just to be able to identify that I have that anxiety or I'm having that anxiety, right? Calling out the different anxieties that we have, it helps us understand where the work can lie. If the uh, anxiety is about all you have to do coming up, all that you haven't done in the prior week, you can start to understand what the solutions could be. If you are leaving things to be done to the beginning of a week, we can start you know, doing things uh, prior the week before, we can start planning ahead. It's really gonna depend on what these anxieties are rooted in. Is it rooted in I just don't like my job? Is it rooted in there's so much to do? Is it rooted in I don't think I have the anxiety to get through this week? Whatever it is, call it out first and then ask yourself, is there a way to start to reduce or alleviate that, knowing that that is generally what comes up every Sunday? Can I break that pattern somehow? I know what feels heaviest to me on the beginning of the work week, and I know what I can do to alleviate that. Uh, some people do things like meal prep. It's not a solve all, but they realize at least having the the energy zapping meal preparation handled ahead of time at least gives me more breathing room or takes some workload off of my shoulders, right? 
Um, maybe having your clothes ironed ahead of time. You have to ask yourself what the anxiety is about. And maybe you might realize it's just my job in its totality. And that might be a reminder, well, if every Sunday I'm stressed or tired or anxious because of how hard the weeks are, maybe I need to look into a new job or a new career. That's some, for some people, that's the solution. For others, it's things like offloading some of the work and doing it the week before or during the weekend to make the week easier. I know what I do. I know what I prepare so that my work week is as smooth of a transition in as it can be within reason. We can't resolve everything, right? We're doing the best within the context of what's before us. Those that can leave their job, awesome. Maybe start putting feelers out there. The job market is quite different these days. And maybe, you know, the best time to find a new job is when you have one. And you know, if your if your career, your job is the central point of anxiety for you, it's a mental, it becomes a mental health issue. Your job is a mental health issue, it's a mental health concern. And that might mean a lot of different things, but start looking to find something that might be better hours for you, less anxiety inducing, creating more joy, more meaning, whatever it is. But from a mental health perspective, sometimes massive changes need to be made because people aren't doing well with the commute, with the work environment or other colleagues, or they have a very toxic um, boss or a company that they don't feel taken care of or respected by, right? So that's, a, that's one piece. The next thing is starting to create a to-do list. There is something about the vague, it's, there's something about the impact of the vague enormity of just the concept of I have so much to do this week, right? When we right-size things, we sometimes realize that things are a little more manageable or doable than we think. I myself, have a very full week. I have my clinical practice. I do my radio show. I run um, a mental health educational and training program. I do tons of media with journalists. I have a couple other media projects that I've been filming that I'm excited to drop soon. I'm working on the next book. That is a lot of enormity to just sit on a Sunday night thinking about in a vague sense ahead of you. But how do we break that down into smaller pieces? Well, you're going to find out when we come back. We're going to take a little brick. And when we come back, a break, not a brick. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how to deal with the scary Sundays. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about that uh, creeping up slow build or hard hitting anxiety that happens on a Sunday. Or more importantly, on a Sunday night, maybe uh, as you're watching the clock tick down or you're crawling into bed or even when you're waking up Monday and we're talking about how we just first off want to call it out, acknowledge that I have this anxiety and that helps us understand what it's rooted in and what changes can be made. Sometimes it's about preparing ahead of time. Other times it's about reorienting our relationship to the week. Other times it's about maybe getting a new job, realizing I can't spend my Sundays or my weekends stressed I can't spend my Sundays and my weekends burn out from the week that just happened and then step into the stress of the one that's about to come. That is not having a mental health centered life. It's also just not the purpose of why we're here. We're also now talking about a to-do list. Sometimes the vague notion of I have all these things to do is very overwhelming, but when we right size it and we break it down into, into digestible pieces, we sometimes can see how it's maybe not as enormous as we think, or we realize how much more doable it is. Before the break, I was talking about how much I will do in a week. 
And if I just lean back and feel the weight of all that on me, it's quite overwhelming and overbearing. But when I map it out, which is what I start to do, I know what I'm going to be doing each day, what element, what part of my you know, constellation that is my career, which piece I'm going to engage. It makes me see what's doable and it becomes a lot more doable because I know when it's going to get done. It's mapped out. I know how much downtime I can build in each day because believe me, I'm doing the work that I try to get y'all to do. I tell y'all every single day you should be doing self-care, joy, pleasure, and rest. You better believe every single day I'm building that in while also getting a lot done. And I do that with to-do lists and scheduling. That's how I know that it will get done. And that's how I know often that it can get done. And that's part of reducing the anxiety. If you're sitting there on Sunday, mapping out your week, showing yourself, I can get it done and I will get it done and here's how. And you're also building in blocks of time for self-care, that's the umbrella term I'll use. Then you're like, okay, I feel better about this. Tackle that dragon. Better, you know, know that every single day, I know what time I go offline. There's a certain time of night where I'm not reachable anymore on my phone because it's now self-care time. And I'm not an emergency crisis worker. I don't need to be reachable around the clock by any of my different you know, things going on in my life, even, even by friends. And so my phone goes off, I flip it, and I'm done for the night. That's me building in my self-care. And in that time, I build in pleasure, whether it's doing my music therapy, which I've talked about, whether it's sitting in the bath, whether it's watching my horror movies, whether it's whatever it's going to be, that is built in. And that's how I know that every day I am looking out for my mental health. Bam. But the to, the to-do list right sizes, and again, it shows you that you can get it done and that you will get it done. And that's how we decrease our anxiety or the opposite. You realize I'm trying to do more than, that, than what's humanly possible. And that came out of a career I had, a career I had, that came out of a job I had in the career that I've only ever had. And I was early in my clinical career working at a treatment center. And my boss inadvertently helped me realize this by saying, hey, listen, I want to make sure you're all getting paid the amount you should get paid, which is shocking to hear from a boss sometimes. And she said, can you write down everything you do in a day? And I started to realize that the expectations of the clinic were bigger than anyone can do in a day. When I mapped out what's expected in a day and showed my boss, yeah, the expectations are beyond what a human can accomplish and we need to live in reality. We started offloading some of that onto others and they hired more people. And that might be something you have to realize that your career expects more than what's possible. Maybe you need to talk to your boss and say this, let me show you the schedule. It's not humanly possible. Or maybe you realize for you, you need to drop the bar down and say, I can only do so much. It's okay to let these things go. Or maybe you realize this isn't the right field for me. Whatever that means is what it's going to mean. But mapping it out is a way to get a better perspective on what's possible and often able to decrease the anxiety of those scary Sundays. Some people, some of y'all are listening to this going, I can't even relate. I feel great about everything. I have no anxiety. My life is blessed. That's awesome. <laughs> but the bulk of us, not so much because we have so much going on. Also, no, what you choose to do with those weekends are going to matter. I want them to have meaning and value to the best and to the most you can right now. Uh, we'll feel better about such a busy, anxiety-inducing week if we at least know that our weekends were rooted in us focusing on ourselves. That means truly doing that. Maybe even planning that weekend. What can I do this weekend that will let me actually feel like I had a weekend? And if I'm just working all weekend, laundry, cleaning, and other work for my job, you're not going to feel that way. 
And so you have to be able to set those boundaries with yourself and say, it's, it's about my mental health. I'm not being lazy. I'm not being immature. I'm not being a bad employer, whatever it is. If I build in, in my weekend, time away from all that, and I'm sleeping in and I'm reading and I'm focusing on joy and fun and all that, that is mental health. I'm proud of people when they say that. When they say, I did nothing this weekend but rest, I go, you are not lazy. You are a hero. Because in our culture, it's really hard to feel like we have a right to do that and to allow ourselves to do that. I still struggle sometimes where I'm laying there on the couch and I'm thinking I should be doing something. Then I realize, oh no, that is you internalizing the capitalist system that tells you if you're resting, it's not time well spent. And in fact, it is. And if you're doing something full of joy, like eating that ice cream, watching that movie, whatever it is, we feel bad about that. But that is mental health. We have to not feel bad about that. Truly, 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 truly. So here, everything we just talked about, those are the ways we get through this. Tackling the anxiety and calling it out, looking for solutions, planning out our week to know that it can and should be done, utilizing our weekends so that they actually feel like we did something of meaning and value and our lives are not just work. And then finally, just good sleep hygiene because how you wake up feeling at the beginning of the work week matters. So getting off your phones before bed, making sure it's a good environment, going to bed around the same time, getting up at the same time. That's how we're going to get through this. All right, y'all coming up. DMs, and they're going to be talking about de-escalation. Yeah, we all got a lot to learn around uh, self-regulation. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com. All right, we are back, and uh, before we get to the DMs, I want to tell you that all week, Channel Q along with radio.com is going to be doing a week long of programming to raise awareness of discrimination against black and transgender women. That's right. The series in partnership with film star, transgender, transgender rights advocate, Angelica Ross, who is the founder of project fears and also producer Anthony Preston of a two music productions will commemorate black history month through important conversations, dialogue, and special programming. That's going to include a two hour discussion with Ross, as well as with channel Q's Ryan Mitchell. They have some in-depth interviews with community leaders, politicians, and celebrities. And that special panel will be on Thursday, 10 AM to 2 PM. So definitely check that out. Super important. It's work we all have to do. There are things we all can learn to dismantle both racism, but also the amplified target of oppression and violence against trans, black transgender women uh, who have a life expectancy. And this was a stat that hit me. I will keep throwing it at you of between 34 and 36. That's because we've created a culture that doesn't give them the resources and the support they need. And so this is something we all need to be aware of. So again, that's going to be a week long programming here at Channel Q. But Thursday from 10 a.m. to 2 will be that special panel. Um, really great stuff. And uh, Ryan Mitchell, who's on Let's Go There, Sheer and Ryan, phenomenal. So I'll be tuning in, you tune in, and um, it's part of the work we got to do, y'all. But right now, we're going to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, this DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, I'm looking for a safe and healthy food option that can help me maintain my mental health. We don't get to really talk often about nutritious and nutrition and food and how it impacts clearly not only physical health, but also mental health. I know there are a bunch of websites, but is there anything you've personally tried or can recommend? Um, it depends. Uh, I'm, I'm plant-based and plant-based diet has been shown to be the healthiest diet we can have. Uh, tons of vitamins, minerals, uh, tons of fiber also is the only diet that doesn't have any cholesterol because there's no cholesterol in the uh, plant kingdom. It's also the diet that's recommended to help uh, with cancer. 
I know a lot of people that have had prostate cancer, breast cancer, and their doctors recommend a plant-based diet, as well as it's the only diet that's been shown to prevent and reverse heart disease. Uh, President, former President Bill Clinton is one of the most famous examples of someone who stopped and reversed heart disease with a plant-based diet. We have Kim Kardashian, we have Billie Eilish, we have Beyonce, all these people are vegan. It's really, really important. So I think that diet's meaningful. It's about spirituality. It's about feminism. It's about looking out for our environment. It's the highest ethic. We're not, you know, imposing violence or oppression on any lesser being. And animals matter. It's called speciesism, where we put our human needs before the needs of all else, before the environment and animals. So I think mental health is tied to ethics and social justice. And that means to, you know, focus on a plant-based diet for our environment, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I recommend. But you have to do your own research and figure out what makes sense to you. But yes, studies have linked things like uh, low levels of omegas, which are rich in a plant-based diet through you know flaxseed and chia seed and hemp seeds, higher water and mineral content, right? More hydration. Hydration is tied to energy levels. Like there's, it, it just, it's like a system that keeps feeding into itself. Going plant-based usually has the impact of making us more familiar and comfortable and tied to the environment. And we know that more access and time with the environment also increases mental health. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of different research out there, but that's what I recommend to everyone, a plant-based diet uh, for all the multifaceted reasons. But there is, um, there's a lot of research looking at specific vitamin levels and mineral levels that can be low. And that can have an impact on the way the body's working. And of course, that's tied to our own mental health. So I can't give you anything specific because I don't, you know, I'd have to do an assessment and look at what issues are you struggling with and also your physical health. There's a lot in there. So I don't have any websites. I'm very cautious about recommending websites because I don't want to recommend something that I haven't explored deeply myself, but I've been doing a plant-based diet for decades and it's one of the most profound, healing, important things I've ever done. And so if just realizing that your ethics have increased that way and you're looking out, like I said, for animals and the environment, it's feminist, it's the highest level of feminism, right? No uh, hierarchy, vertical power structure, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on forever, but that's what I recommend for the environment, for your soul, and for your health. So uh, check that out. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to be talking about a de-escalation. Yes, because that is the key to relational health. If we can't self-regulate or co-regulate, and we just amplify and hit that gas pedal, we can't have long-term healthy relationships. Uh, and DMs, as always, they come from the DMs on our IG page. So drop them on in there if you've got a question for us, and we'll answer it. You listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we are back and we're talking about basically how to save our relationships, aka how to self-regulate or how to de-escalate. Oh, the most healthiest people will themselves struggle with regulation at times and the most empowered, strong, healthy people try to minimize and walk away and uh, not really let fighting get out of hand. Also tell people, when something happens that might not have been ideal, you are at any point allowed to circle back and try to repair that. I have myself reached out to someone saying, hey, you know what? I wanted to talk more about what happened or what was said last week or last month. It's still in my mind, blah, 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 blah. And I work on repair. Repair can always be done. It's never too late. It's never expired. 
if you're going after repair. If you're trying to just rip open the wound and weaponize it, well, no, then it might have expired. Because there is a point where if, if people have taken accountability, accountability and apologized and done the work, we have to then move on. And then it sometimes becomes ours to struggle with. You know, why do we keep bringing it up and bringing it in? You know, if our partner's done all that they can do, Unfortunately, that kind of leaves us. That's a topic for another day. But let's talk about ways that we can de-escalate and self-regulate ourselves and others during a heated argument. Because that's going to happen at work with loved ones, family members. God bless it. It's kind of just part of how things go. But we want to make it something that leads to growth and reconnection. Being in healthy relationships is reacting and talking in ways that make it safe to stay in a relationship with us, right? And we we learn most with by being in the relationships we're in. Every time you're in a relationship, you get to see where your work is. If someone upsets you or triggers you, that shows you where your wounds are. That shows you where you're weakest. That shows you where you need to strengthen and get better. So before we blame for what's maybe said or done, we want to also say, what can I learn about myself through this? That is what the healthiest people say. They don't necessarily let someone off the hook if they've done something unjust or problematic, but they also say, wow, I also just learned a lot about myself, right? You can tackle both at the same time. I always try to do that in conflict, right? What needs to be done in this moment? But then also, what can I learn about who I am and how I show up to things? Because I always want to be better. Why? I want a high-functioning life. That's why I do for me. Secondarily, I do for others. I want people to want me in their life, right? Because healthy people assess, do I make people's lives better by being a part of it or do I make it worse? And I want us this year to start pushing back on people whose presence in our lives makes it worse. I don't care who they are. We need to set boundaries or even remove people like that, right? We have to do the work. But with people that we have in our lives that we want to stay in our lives, what are some things we can do or we need to focus on to try to deescalate things when they get a little conflictual? Conflict's gonna happen. And as always, I'll say this, don't blue in the face. All relationships of whatever kind take some work, but they shouldn't take a lot of work. If it's taking a lot of work, you're not compatible. I don't care if it's mother, son, (laughs) boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, boyfriend, boyfriend, there's only so much work. Sometimes, unfortunately, we cannot participate in the relationships we want to participate in because for whatever reason, your personality and their personality just aren't compatible. And it shouldn't be an exhausting amount of work. It really shouldn't. I think some couples shouldn't be working as hard as they are and that they should exit the relationship. I say that all the time. It shouldn't take that much work. It really shouldn't. We make our lives harder and other people's lives harder, and that's not the point. So for those that are at a high level of functioning, what can we do? First off is start with yourself always. You got to stay regulated. You cannot expect another person to regulate themselves or for the conflict to drop if you yourself are not regulated. I see it all the time with parents. Their kid's having a meltdown, and then they have their own meltdown in trying to shame, challenge, or tell their kid to stop having a meltdown. So wait a second. You want your child to do what I'm watching you unable and unwilling to do yourself? You're not even calm. You're adding dysregulation to a dysregulated system. Your job is to add regulation, be an anchor. When someone's dysregulated, they need you at most to be your best. And so I always laugh when I see a parent melting down. You need to do what you want them to do. They're a kid. You should know better. But same thing in all relationships. Make sure you are the calm one or the anchor. Otherwise, you are participating, strengthening, and helping create and keep alive a very high-conflict system. I don't care who started it. Your mental health matters and your role matters. And I want you to be learning and growing. And so you breathe. Take some time. But you have to start with yourself always. I tell it to every couple in my office. To both of them, you are responsible. I'll say to each of them, you are responsible for being regulated. My metaphor, it's a little offensive. I try, I'm going to try to work on it. It's a little infantilizing is we can't have two kids in the room at all times. We always need an adult. 
And if your partner turns into a child, you need to then step into your adult self. We need an adult in the room at all times. If we've got two kids in the room, we're screwed. So you got to step it up. And some people are like, I know, but I'm always doing that. Great. Well done. You are strengthening and being better and your partner needs that clearly. So that's the first thing we have to do. We have to check in with ourselves. And if we are not feeling regulated, we step away or we, we pause. I love people saying things like, I'm going to have to stop because I don't like the way I'm starting to talk to you. I'm going to have to stop. I don't like the way I'm starting to treat you. Let's come back to this. Call it out. We're going to have to come back to this. I'm not feeling regulated because you're checking in on yourself. Healthy people will always do that. It's how relationships are, relationships are successful. It's not, you know, sometimes we all do different levels of work. One partner is going to be the more regulated one that helps change that system. And another partner has some other strength that they bring in, but always be willing to do that. Second piece is acknowledging the feelings of that person, whether you agree or not. What we feel sometimes needs validation and that can be very soothing. We have to get away from just trying to get to rightness, right? A lot of fights are about deciding who's going to be the correct one. And we have to get away from that because you can both be correct. You can both be wrong. And, and, and in a relationship, the first thing we're trying to always assess is us. How is this impacting our relationship? This person I want to stay in whatever our relationship is with them. We should be assessing that first, not just letting things get burnt down because we need to be right. That's what a lot of fights are about. Whose version is going to be correct? And that's not what it's about. And they stop paying attention to the impact they're having on each other and their relationship. All right, we're going to take a break. We come back, we're going to keep talking about how to de-escalate conflict. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about how to just maintain healthy relationships, whatever they are, but we're talking about de-escalation. Moving through the world, I see so many examples of people not doing it right, right? We always got to start with ourselves. And if one person's having a meltdown or getting really uh, de de-escalated or dysregulated, it's our job to be the adult, to be the anchor. We have to. And parents and childs are the easiest ones to see out in the world where a child's dysregulated and the parent does the same thing, but somehow is mad at the kid for not being able to do what they won't or can't do, right? We always need that anchor. But we're talking also about the fact that a lot of fights are rooted in who's going to be the right one and trying to convince the other person. It's like, that's not what this is about. Just be known. Say, ah, oh, we see it differently. We don't have to agree. There's this odd social pressure to make someone correct or right to the detriment of the relationship. But is that really what the higher value or higher ethic is to you, being right versus whether or not you're burning down or harming this relationship? Like we have to be able to sit in the tension of we don't agree. We have to be able to sit in the tension of I'm correct and they're not, but we're not really making that known. Like let that go. Be better than that. Don't focus on right or wrong. It's okay to validate someone and say, oh, well, you know, let, let me hear more about what you're thinking, even if it's wrong or you don't agree. Right? It's about just presence. It's about validation and saying, yeah, I see very differently, but I appreciate what you're saying. Like we need to turn these things into growth moments, ways to connect where we're learning more about each other. Instead of battling who's right or wrong or good or bad, make it more about being known. Like that's a healthy relational skill. We're letting go of these other ego based things. Now, another thing to think about is we have to allow things to be active. Not everything needs to be settled. We talk about this sometimes where go to bed angry. I don't want you to just stay up battling it out. We have to learn how to both love someone and stay close and connected while also having open and active something that we're still working through and that's very difficult. Not everything can get resolved in the moment. We have to learn how to carry it with us. Honey, I love you. We'll come back to this and talk about it tonight. And you give them a kiss and you love them all day long while knowing you're gonna come back to this thing that has some high conflict to it. We have to be able to hold both. 
we're obsessed with what we call making people into in this field of academics. It's called uh, object relations. It's a theory, psycho, psychoanalytic theory. It's quite stunning. But we talk about treating people as a part object, which is you're all good or you're all bad. And we don't treat people as a whole object, which is they can be both. And they're often both. You know, we love, 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 love them. And then they upset us. And now you're all bad and I hate, hate, hate you. Well, a minute ago before I said that, you loved me. That's right. You're both. But we want you to be one or the other. We have to learn how to hold and carry both. That we maybe got in a fight in the morning, but I still was able to give you a kiss goodbye because I still love you while also being upset with you. And I can still be loving towards you. I can still pick up something for you too as I grab food on my way home, even though actively we're still battling through something. We have to be able to hold both. The person you hate is also maybe the person you love. And the person you love is also the person you hate. The caveat is I'm not talking about abuse. I never am. This is within the context of a healthy relationship. If we're talking about physical or verbal abuse, it, it's the relationship just ended the minute that starts happening. And that's a whole different discussion. This is within the context of people that are neither emotionally or physically abusive. Um, and I need to uh, try to remember to, to call that out because y'all are really good at these you know, caveats. But that's important to make known. This is for healthy people, safe relationships. Not all of them are. Um, we're also trying to reflect back what it is we want. If we want regulation, we got to be regulated. And again, that goes back to the parent and child example. You're teaching your child. And some people need to be taught. Some of our partners are from high-conflict families, high-conflict social circles where they actually value verbally shouting things, popping off. And again, there's a right place for the expression of anger, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about conflict. And we're talking about relational impact. And so mimic and mirror what it is you want to see. If you want someone to calm down, you need to stay calm. What doesn't calm someone down is you escalating. When you escalate, they escalate. When you get dysregulated, they get dysregulated. So if someone is losing their mind in front of you, you need to be the calm one and mirror what it is you're looking to have between the two of you. Be the change you want to see. Show them. <laughs> right? But that again goes back to checking with ourselves. What are we contributing and how are we showing up? What are we participating in? What are we keeping alive? Oh, conflict by being high conflict? Chill down. Turn that knob down. That's how I know someone's working on mental health. Right? They're modeling what it is they want to see. If they want to see regulation and control, you'll see that from them. But we have to be able to hold both, and we also have to be able to circle back. Now it's not always the best time. I tell couples when on things like vacations or dates. If it's not a pressing issue, you say, let's come back to that. We're not sweeping under the rug or ignoring it, but we're going to come back to it because now it's not the time, and we have to learn how to shelve some conflict and come back to it 100%. And I think one of the <clears throat> final things to really zero in on is the whole stepping away because we don't ever want someone to feel abandoned or shamed by what's going on, right? And again, when we're realizing that we're getting a little dysregulated and we have to put something on a pause, there's a very uh, beautifully scripted way that we do that. We let them know where we're going and when we'll be back and that we'll address it then. You don't just walk off, run off because that's how we trigger abandonment. And that's also a way that you kind of disrespect someone and you can still be present by being away. And so you say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to pause this for a second. I don't like the way I'm starting to feel or the way I'm starting to speak to you, or this isn't feeling constructive, or you're saying to them, you know what, I don't like the way you're starting to talk to me. So I'm going to go down the block to Starbucks and I'll be back in an hour. And by then I hope I'll be calm. And if not, I'll reach out and let you know when I'll be back. And that's how you set a boundary. Otherwise, you're abandoning if you just go flying off, flying out, or whatever it is. Let them know where you're going when you'll be back. Because again, we're still holding love 
and anger at the same time. And that's how we do it. Right now I'm upset with you, but I still love you enough to not want you to feel abandoned. I'm not going to weaponize me taking a moment away or putting this on pause. That's how we don't misuse that. Because some people, they just stonewall. They're never available. They're never approachable. They never want to have this conversation. You can't do that. You can't stonewall. That's not a healthy relationship. You have to be willing to finish and engage. And so you do have to say when you're going to be able to pick this back up. It can't just be we're not talking about this anymore. And then the person's left sitting with all their emotions. You can't stonewall. Part of being in a relationship is the commitment that I will work through and talk through things to their completion. And that might take days, weeks, or months, but I'm willing to be a participant in that. You can't just be let it go, let it go, let it, you know, get over it. It's quite abusive. You know, that falls under the emotional abuse. Um, So you have to be willing to engage in this. And if not, you're not ready for a relationship or you need to find someone very avoidant, you know, because any other kind of relational style is just not going to work. All right, y'all. DMs. Yep. Uh, coming up, we're going to be doing some DMs. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. And uh, we're not doing question of the night every night, but it's still happening. And that's over on our Loveline IG page in the story. So weigh in on that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, later in the show, we're going to close out with some DMs. But before we do, let's take a minute and talk about Romantic competence. How good is your romantic competence? Yeah, that's right. We don't prepare for relationships. We just slide on in and we crash on in sometimes. And it's interesting. It's like, well, we'll just figure it out as we go. It's like parenting. You can read some books, try to be prepared, but you're not really sure what you're going to get. You kind of figure it out as you go. Relationships, a little bit of the same, but I like people to think, you know, we talk about this. There's, there's a lot of things we can consider. Healthy people will look back at prior relationships to see who they have the capacity to be, right? And they'll say, all right, well, let me look back at who I was. What do I want to bring forward and what do I not want to bring forward? (laughs) That's the beauty of prior relationships. That's why I want people to, you know, go through the relational developmental milestones of being in many relationships and dating so we can learn skills, have it mirrored for us. Try to date healthy people. We can learn stuff, right? But looking back shows us who we can be. And uh, relationships are skills we learn. We are not innately born with them. We don't talk about them and learn about them in school. We kind of figure them out. And social media, media itself is horrible. I I can't tell you how many movies and shows I watch, reality and otherwise, where I'm like, oh my God, no. But it's normalizing. It's normalizing a lot of bad behavior and a lot of problematic feelings and things that we shouldn't have jealousy around. And it's just normalizing. And people are like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, no. Um, So, you know, romantic relationships, it should be about the impact we're having on the other. We focus too much on what am I getting? And yeah, we want to look at how they impact us, but we also have to look at how we impact them. It should be mutual, mutual support, mutual care, right? It's not just about us and our needs. How are we impacting them? Is their life better because we've been brought in or have we made it harder, more complex, and even maybe toxic, right? So what are some of the things we should think about when we're talking about romantic competence, right? Can't always go off of what we feel because that can lead us astray. We don't always live or act from the best in us, especially if something's making us feel anxious. And the more we want to be a part of someone's life or in a relationship with someone, the harder it can become because we want to be liked, right? Or we just want this to last or we just don't want to lose what we have. All of those things can create some really problematic ways of being. So when we talk about emotional competence, generally we're talking about three things. Um, I guess you could call it insight, insight or impact, and then mutuality, and then finally emotional regulation. So insight is our ability to look at all the romantic experiences, right, that we're having with this person and begin to anticipate what 
we do and how it impacts the quality of our relationship. So we're looking at who we are within that relationship. What kind of partner are you? Stop and ask yourself as a loved one, as a friend, as a romantic partner, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a boss, as a colleague, right? Whatever it is. Um, what kind of partner are you? Again, are you making people's better lives better or making them harder? I decided a long time ago, I want people's lives to be better because I'm a part of them or at least neutral. I don't want to make people's lives harder. Life is hard enough. And I mean that on every level. My friendship, uh, anything, any way I'm relating to other people. So ask yourself, call yourself out because we can always at any moment be better and knock some stuff off. It's really important to know. Then we look at mutuality. Understanding that we both have needs. All of us have needs but that their needs might not be the same as ours, but they're just as valid. We tend to want to do things our ways, our way based on our comfort, based on what we need. Part of being in a relationship is sometimes being put out or let down because we prioritize or center someone else's needs, right? It might not be what we want or what we had dreamed of, but they, their needs mean as much as ours. And so we support them taking that job in a different town. We support relocating. We support them going back to school. We support them maintaining a friendship with an ex, because that's, what, that's what's good for them or that's what they need. Because again, this is always within the context of a healthy, trusting relationship. And if not, shouldn't even be in it. So we're assuming that they can trust us and we can trust them. And that means we can prioritize their needs because we know it's rooted in something good and healthy. And if they're asking for it or pushing for it, it must be meaningful, right? That's the given. So again, we're looking at the impact we're having on their life. And then we're looking at are we also making their needs as important as ours, often putting them before ours, often being put out or disrupted because of theirs? And then finally, one of the most important is regulation. <laughs> it's an awareness of what we're feeling and the ability to act with it, act it out and share it in ways that aren't disruptive or harmful, but are maybe beneficial. We share our feelings, right? We don't make demands. We don't harm, we don't punish, but we share them. Not demanding that they're accommodated because sometimes they won't be. Our partner might say, I hear you, I understand, but I can't do that or that's not okay for me. So it's not a demand, but it's sharing so we can be known more, so we can be better understood, so we can clarify for the betterment of both of us, right? Because we're always considering in a relationship the impact on us as a group. It's an us and a we. Entering a relationship is an emotional regression. We're no longer we, I and me, it's us and we now right? We impact each other. We're attached. So we're paying attention to that. We're tracking how we are and who we are. That's a sign that you're in a healthy relationship. So pay attention to that. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it on our Loveline IG page. And uh, you want to check out past episodes of Loveline? You can do so by going over to wearechannelq.com, scrolling on down, see my little face, click on it, and uh, all of our shows are there. And a question of the night is up on our Loveline IG page in the stories. We're not doing that every night, but we're still doing it. It's always up. Um, yeah, so stick around. Coming up next, we're going to be closing out with those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, again, just want to remind you, this Thursday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., uh, transgender rights activist, actress, and producer Angelica Ross will be with Ryan Mitchell for a two-hour discussion, in-depth interviews with community leaders, politicians, and celebrities. Yeah, because we're doing at Channel Q an entire week-long programming special to raise awareness of discrimination against black transgender women. And the series, in partnership with Angelica Ross, who's the founder of Project Fierce, will also include producer Anthony Preston of A2 Music Productions. They are uh, the two that put the project together. And uh, we're doing this to commemorate Black History Month through important conversations, dialogue, and again, specialty programming. So we're going to be doing that 
all week long, raising awareness and visibility. Really important stuff. I'm glad we're doing that. So definitely check it out. But uh, like I said, Thursday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. is the panel. Bum, bada, bum, bum. So be there. But now, y'all, time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, here we go. Uh, hey, Dr. Chris. Uh, let me see. Why can I not read this? Me and my boyfriend, Sam. We've been together for two years. Congrats. Two years is a good amount of time to really get a sense of what happens when our personalities come together. It takes a while to really be able to assess compatibility. Chemistry, we can assess right from the door. Am I drawn to you? Do I lust you? Do I have hunger for you? I think that's important. Some people underplay that. Eh, I think it's really important, especially for long-term relationships that want things like monogamy. Um, but it takes time to really assess compatibility. What happens when we have conflict? What happens when we have stress? What really happens through the different events in our lives when our personalities come together, right? We stand back and we're like, oh, do I want more of that? And so, you know, you go through birthdays, you go through holidays, you go through sickness, you go through job anxiety, financial anxiety. What do, what do we like as a couple? So two years is a good amount of time. Uh, we always talked about having kids, you say, but recently the world has just become so dark and scary. Yeah, I don't really know if I want to have kids. I get that. I get that. I actually think that's an important part of wanting to be a parent is looking at the context of your lives in which you'll be bringing the children and how healthy is our relationship. That matters. Children don't bring you closer together. They often make it more complicated and difficult, you know, and also the context of the world that you're bringing the children into. So I like that you're thinking. Uh, then you say, he just keeps thinking that we'll raise the kids in a bubble <laughs> and be happy to ourselves, but that's not reality. Am I crazy for being scared to have kids right now? Oh man, don't put that on me. You'll be like, Dr. Chris said, um, I think it's reasonable that you have a sensitivity to what's going on around us. Like, dear God, otherwise your head's in the sand. You know, there's a lot of things happening, but there's a lot of things happening, meaning there's, there's also growth and shift and change. So I'm not going to paint a rosy picture. We have a lot of work to do. You know, again, please don't think, you know, Biden Harris means all's done. No. There's a lot of problematic things that's going to be coming out of that administration. It's just we're doing far better. Um, I don't know. You know, like like there's more awareness and visibility of the different levels of violence and oppression that we've, you know, up until this point allowed to exist and be strengthened within our culture. So, you know, I don't know that there's ever been a time that I thought was perfect and I don't think there ever will be. And so I don't, I, 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 I I don't know how to answer that for you, honestly. I don't. Um, can you create somewhat of a bubble? Yeah, sure. But I mean, is that really honest? No, because at some point your child goes out into the world. Um, there's no time that's been better than our time. Not meaning that our time is better. I just mean looking backwards, every every epoch, every uh, century, every decade had a lot of problems. You know, technology has advanced, so healthcare would, would you could say has improved. Some of the internal structures have, but yeah, it's a rough world out there. And so you have to sit down and really decide what, what is the meaning of having kids? And is that more meaningful to you than the environment you're bringing them into? But no, I don't think there's anything problematic with you having any anxiety or consciousness of all that's going on around us. I want more people to. I want more people to understand the uh, responsibility that you have to take when you decide to bring children into this world. And so just also think about the structure of your life. Is your own individual personal life ready for it? Then your relational life. Is your relationship ready for it? You know, um, I'd wait. Two years, I think, is maybe too soon for that. I don't think you've given your relationship enough time to just be. Um, give it a couple more years. Because as soon as you have children, it becomes more about them. And I think couples jump the gun with that. I don't know what the rush is. Right. And so uh, slow down and take it easy and do it when you feel ready. 
But, you know, you're on your own with that one otherwise. All right, y'all, that is our show. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk about long-distance love. Why? Because everything right now is long-distance. Yes, yes. Thank you, pandemic. Everything is long-distance. So although we're going to be focusing on romantic long-distance love and what that takes and how to get through, it literally is a skill set that's applied to everyone because everything right now has that distance in those roadblocks. So we'll be talking about that tomorrow. As always, if you want to check out past episodes, head on over to wearechannelq.com. Thanks for hanging out, y'all. See you tomorrow night.